Welcome to All Up In Your Business. I'm Jay Sokol. I'm Natalie Reese. And we have a very cool show today, Natalie. We will be talking to brothers Costa and Andreas Dalis. They are longtime restaurateurs who will tell us about what they have built and what they are still building. Uh, that's coming up in just a few. But first, Natalie, uh, I wanted to talk to you about a very specific topic. And it's something you and I have talked about just uh, casually in your office. But I want to talk about it here. And that is the importance of redevelopment in College Station. I would like you to tell me why, when, and where redevelopment makes sense for us. Well, in looking in looking at our community, at least from a retail perspective, when when someone's looking at coming here, whether it's a restaurant or retailer, they're looking at traffic counts, they're looking at where the population density is and what our disposable income is. And it's rarely that someone um, calls about coming to College Station and doesn't ask about something in close proximity to Texas and University Drive. Um, we've seen the redevelopment of the old Ramada Inn with North Point Crossing. We've seen the redevelopment of Century Square that used to be married student housing. Um, the reason that those are so important, uh, along with Embassy Suites that's, that's, that is right around the Burger Mojo that we're talking about, the reason that's so important is because it adds to our, our ad valorem base, our, our, our real estate base, um, from a tax perspective, but also from a, a retail sales perspective. So when you look at retail sales tax, that's about 38% of our annual revenue. So you, you really have to, to keep your, your, eyes on that and make sure that there are opportunities for folks to be able to develop here to sustain that, those that 38% funds basic services. So when we were working with the Embassy Suites, they, uh, this Burger Mojo site was a, was a corner that uh, the property owner of that location in the Embassy Suites, they weren't able to come to terms. And so uh, it was seen as a holdout piece. And so what do you do with that? Uh, we've had some national folks take a look at it. Uh, uh, you and I um, cussed and discussed about a uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, yes, we did. That that, that uh, had a letter of intent on that piece of property. It, it didn't work for several reasons. One, it's a very tight piece of property. But but two, the drive-through um, to have to do such a, a heavy volume at that location that you would need to do to make it work, there would be conflicts with the University Drive. And so this is a different story in terms of redevelopment. Um, there was a piece of property that instead of marketing it to your traditional retailers, they weren't successful in doing that, so they, they pivoted. And what they did was they reached out to, you'll hear from Costa, uh, they reached out to a local successful family and said, hey, what would you put there? Is there, is there a concept that makes sense given that location, given the size? And they designed it for that particular piece of property. Um, kind of going back, and I know I'm going in circles a bit here, but when you look at Embassy Suites and you look at the impact of that. So prior to development, we had a restaurant there that um, had some code enforcement issues. Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember seeing um, uh, on the restaurant report card from KBTX <laughs> that it was shut down multiple times. Right. Um, so we were seeing just just in, in ballpark numbers. So the city was seeing from a real estate perspective on that piece of property, there was a value of about 1.6 million. We were seeing about 7,000 a year in, in a tax, in property tax. We replaced that with a $38 million investment with a new hotel. And now we're seeing about 108,000 a year in terms of property tax from that particular piece of property. So in terms of taking a piece of highly visible 
property that is underdeveloped that is more of a code enforcement issue and then turning it into something much more sustainable, uh, much more urban at that location. Um, and being able to do that in a big way that, that has a huge impact on our, on our property taxes is a win. I mean, when you look at our, just our school district, so prior to Embassy Suites, they were collecting about $22,000 a year of school taxes on that particular piece of property. Now they're collecting close to a quarter of a million dollars a year uh, just in that one redevelopment. If we, can, if we can have that success in multiple locations closer to that intersection and even on Texas Avenue, um, it, it's a win for, for yeah. everyone in our community. So I know there have been um, pockets of this kind of redevelopment that you're talking about. How hard is it to fill in those gaps between those pockets of redevelopment uh, and, and how much of your energy is focused on trying to do that? So redevelopment is tough just, just by its nature, right? So you've got to, the first thing you have to do is undo what was done before right. in terms of your real estate entitlements, what easements were dedicated, what utilities were built, what, uh, what things were done to that property that you have to undo just to get to a clean slate. It's much easier to go out somewhere on Highway 6 where there's a greenfield. Right. You don't have to take that step. Um, it's also much more expensive and time consuming. Um, and, and, and time kills all deals. I mean, if it, if it takes longer to go through the rezoning process or redeveloping it from, from a utility or street standpoint. So redevelopment is, is really tough. So you have to have the right investor. On Embassy Suites, it was the Mack Hike Group, and that was his family's investment group that was willing to hold it for a long time. So they were willing to take a little more time to find the right location, invest a little bit more because they were going to hold on to that asset. But you also have to find willing sellers, right? There yeah. may be people who, do, who are monetizing in a way that, that they're satisfied with. Absolutely. And some of these places can be cash cows. Um, I know uh, in, in looking at, let's just in, in general terms, a mobile home park very low overhead when right. it comes to a property owner, but that cash is coming in every month. So in order to stop that cash flow, you I mean, you're right, you have to have a willing seller and they don't want to spend a lot of time investing in, um, in something that may or may not redevelop. Right. Okay. Thanks for the explainer. I, I, I kind of went around the world on that one, so I don't know if it made a lot of sense. But. No, I... I've... I appreciate it very much because because as I drive through the community, just like when you drive through the community, you see certain areas and you're like, oh, that would be so great if, if it could be freshened up, if something different could go there. But I don't know how long it'll take to do that sort right. of thing. Well, and when the economics get right in terms of have they amortized that investment to where they can level the site? Or is it just a, a, a lipstick, you know, yeah. or is it just a refresh? Um, at what point do you do you get to where you can actually level it and start over, like the Embassy Suites example? Right. So let's talk about our guests, Costa and Andreas Delis, longtime business owners and restaurateurs. So Natalie, set this up for us. Well, their family's a legacy in College Station. So I, I, I've known them for years, but I've known of them for a, a lot longer. Um, uh, Tommy Delise uh, was a, a local fixture. He invested in a, in a lot of real estate around town. And then uh, his sons, Costa and Andres, have 
taken up the family business. They've invested in restaurants and bars and more of that serial entrepreneur. Um, they're very humble when, when, uh, when you hear their story. Both of them started out in, um, um, in the restaurant industry, working from the bottom and learning, learning the business and ended up buying the local Cafe Excel and, and moving up. But uh, not only is it, a, is it a local, you know, hustle and be very successful, they're very humble when it comes to their keys to success. They know this market. They've been here long enough that they know the cyclical, um, the cyclical uh, business cycle that we have here and to, and to be successful in the products that you have to have. And so um, I found it very interesting that the owner of this property reached out to them directly and said, hey, you know, you guys know this area. What would work right here? And uh, so far they're being really successful and I, I think they'll continue to be. Okay, perfect. Costa and Andreas, uh, welcome. And Natalie and I are about to get all up in your business. So thanks for being here. So like a lot of people, when when I think of you and your family, uh, Cafe Excel is what immediately comes to mind. But that may not be the right starting point. So kind of like a Marvel character in a movie, give me your origin story and how things sort of evolve from there. Like from birth? Uh, well, maybe <laughs> not quite from birth, okay. but maybe professionally speaking. Well, we both went to AM Consolidated High School. We both grew up here. Okay. Um, we both I attended St. Joseph's did you attend St. Joseph's I don't remember one year one year uh before that and then we ended up staying in town um I got a job at Cafe Excel when I was 19 as a pizza cook and on in 1990 and Andreas you got a job as a busboy in December 95 yeah and so we made our bones so to speak there um we ended up knowing that we were going to be in food service or entertainment and or entertainment. So um, we just worked our way up as high as we could get and um, we were able to come to a, a, a purchase agreement with the Anzas, the former owners. And so we bought it June 1, uh, 1999. Was that part of the plan the, the whole time? No, no. We were just doing our thing and, and we were learning as we went. I, I guess you could say, Donnie used to say, you're learning your craft on my nickel. <laughs> uh, right. which is a, it's actually sound, sound advice, you know, to learn, learn the craft on someone else's risk. And so we were learning uh, as we went along and, uh, I started getting the bug. I'm a little bit older than, actually I'm a lot older than Andreas, 10 years. And so I started getting the bug to move on. And, um, uh, Donnie and I had a, a talk about it. He said, why don't you just buy this? And, uh, we, we came to a deal. So was Cafe Excel sort of <clears throat> already established as an iconic restaurant in this community or did that sort of take a while longer? I feel at that time it was pretty, pretty established. Um, it, in those early years, there wasn't a lot of other, if any other restaurants in that genre here. Um, so in that, in that regard, it was a bit, a bit of a lone wolf at that juncture. I think that very summer, actually, I know that very summer cause it stung a little bit. Uh, Christopher's opened. Uh, right, right. right when I bought it. So I got a sucker punch <laughs> in the stomach for about, you know, 90 days while everybody went and tried Christopher's. Uh, but then, I'll, you know, all the business kind of leveled out and circled back. But before that, I think there was the Texan. Uh, but I think it was a little, it, it, it was it was commanding a little bit higher price, a little bit more upscale than mm. what at Cafe Excel was a little more gen general, general, more broad hit to the public. Um, but I think we, we were alone back then. So I think that's, it's arguable that it might have been more iconic back then, you mm. know. But time has marched on. 
Well, and you've stood the test of time. I mean, when you look at the history, so I've been here forever too. Back in, when I was a student, if you were to go on a date or something, that was the only place that, that you could go to in town was, mm -hmm. was Cafe XL if, you, if there was a nice occasion for you to go. So, and for you guys to maintain that, it's really stood the test of time. Well, it's been 30, we're going on 31 years since, uh, since, since we've owned it, it's 21 years, but since it's opening, it's 31 years. That's a pretty good stretch. I'm not that old, Krista. <laughs> Well, okay, so I'm going to jump in on that because, and Natalie hears me say this all the time, but my uh, uneducated assumption is that the, the restaurant business in this community has to be the most difficult industry to be in because even with, with all the growth and the onslaught of, of restaurants that come and go and come and go, you guys have sustained your business. You have survived. And how do you do that? Because most people can't. I think that newer businesses that come here are unaware of the the scope of seasonality here. I think that they don't fully understand how seasonal we are. And if you if you stay, take a step back and you examine it as a 52-week year, we have about, I always say we have about 35 weeks of business and 17 weeks that we don't have, you know, we're down about 30 to 40 percent if you add it all up. And so um, you think of Galveston, you don't think of going to Galveston in the winter. For, for instance. So I, I don't think people are, uh, it's, it's kind of a backward seasonality to something like that. You know, obviously we're semester, we say that in all of our financial planning, we're semester driven. We're driven right. by the semester. So um, I think that's a big one. Uh, for us, it's about managing expenses during the downtimes because of the seasonality and making sure that you're looking at everything in a, on an annual basis rather than you know, I'm, I'm waiting for it to be busy like it was parents weekend next week again, because it's not going, you're going to, it's, you're going to get the correction the next week. So <clears throat> I think that's what it's about. Now you guys have over the years had more than Cafe XL though, correct? Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Well, we've, we've had delis, we've had bars, we've had other restaurants. Well, we name had, names because people may not know that those were yours. Uh, we had a place called Delis Deli for a short while until we uh, we used, we used did it temporarily knowing that we were going to change it to a bar until we got our liquor license uh, okay. in Northgate. So we, um, in order to, well, if it works really well, we're going to keep it that way. Let me say that. But it ended up, you know, since it was Northgate, it would, we'd get a better ROI as a bar. Um, La Bodega, that had a really great run. Sure. Uh, that one would have continued running if, if we didn't uh, move on. We ended up selling the property and moving on. Um, we've had, oh gosh. A multitude of bars in Northgate. Yeah, a multitude yeah. of bars. Um, uh, we had V-Bar. We, we changed it to a place called Social. We had a place called The Library. Uh, Daisy Dukes at one point. Um, Martini Street. Martini Street. We had a place in uh, Culper Plaza called Margarita Rocks. Uh, it's not called Pepper Plaza anymore, though, is it? I forget what it's it, called It now. still is, too. It's always yeah. yeah. Pepper Plaza. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To us, it is. We, we haven't evolved. <laughs> we just remember where we rode our BMX bikes when we were kids, and it was called Pepper Plaza. But, uh, yeah, so there's probably a smattering of others. I'm, I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, we've been in and out of a lot of stuff. So flash forward to, um, to very recently, you guys have a brand-new endeavor. Talk about that. Okay, so uh, the one, the big one, we have two. Uh, the big one is Burger Mojo. Right. Uh, that's the one you're asking about, I'm sure. Yes. So that one was, um, I've been talking the whole time, Dre. I don't know. You just, you're on a roll. Okay. <laughs> tap, tap me on the shoulder. Um, <laughs> Mojo was not planned um, per se. 
we knew that we wanted to get into that business model at some juncture, but we didn't have the exact uh, concept down yet. And a local real estate professional reached out to us, coincidentally, and uh, told us that the owner of that property was looking for a local operator, and he had recommended us to uh, come up with something for that parcel. And that parcel is 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 small. It's a, it's about twenty four thousand square feet, about half an acre. Right. So we had to figure out what kind of business model we think we would be able to put on that property that would get the ROI for both the the landowner and ourselves. And so we did a lot of research, and we we felt like uh, a niche product in this community would be a kind of a crafty burger, but at a fast food price point. We saw that that that, that wasn't around, and we also feel felt like uh, for the land was you know it was pretty high high cost. So uh, we know we knew we needed to be 24 hours, and we knew we needed to have a drive through. Right in order to make it work. So Burger Mojo was born from that. As far as the Mojo part of the burger, uh, that was just him and I having fun, uh, t talking about how we wanted to turn the whole fast food thing upside down. We didn't want it to be pedestrian and boring and just typical fast food. We wanted it to be fun and have some Mojo. And uh, so then we started coming up with pop culture references and, and naming um, different menu items, out, you know, inspiration from different songs from, from his you know, age group to my age group, and that's kind of how it kind of spanned a few decades that way between he and I. And so that that's how Burger Mojo was born. Well, to me, it seems like good fortune because Natalie has talked in the past about how so many business entities um, of all sizes come kicking our tires to, to see if conversation is a good fit, but they all want to be located in close proximity to the university, but there's only so much property available to do that. So how much of a coup is it to be this close with, with a business venture? I, I think it's huge. And I think, you, at least in my experience, you don't see it work this way very often. So if you'll remember, um, the, the Embassy Suites Hotel wraps around Burger Mojo. And so that was a redevelopment in itself, the old Black IP restaurant, mm -hmm. the Buffet of the Week that was located in there, the old vet clinic. This was a... a a property owner that wasn't able to make a deal with the Embassy Suites redevelopment. And so they were left with a, a smaller piece of property, as Costa had mentioned, that, so what do you do with it? And they put it in front of a, lo a lot of national um, retailers. Dunkin' Donuts was the most famous, because that's when we first, oh, great, Dunkin' Donuts. You know, they, they They had an LOI at that location. Um, they weren't able to work out the specifics of the lease, and a lot of that had to do with the drive-through and being able to, to fit the size of the building, the amount of drive through that they needed on that property. So when that failed, it's an interesting concept that they reached out to, I mean, it's brilliant, to reach out to a local successful family that, that has developed several businesses over time and said, look, instead of taking this box that we typically do at the national level and see where we can plop it in town, mm -hmm. take a step back and look at what you think would work there and and develop this concept around what's already there. And yeah. so that's... You, you never see that um, in in, uh, in a redevelopment play like that. It's premature to say anything yet because we've only been open for two months, but we feel like that's a very expandable concept and it's something that can be done. It could be repeated in town. It could be expanded into uh, college towns and even larger municipalities in the state. So we have high hopes for it, but you know, for us, we try to stay focused and not so dreamy at this point and you know, make a success out of the one that we have here in our hometown right across from the you know one of the largest universities in the country right 
and the one that we're familiar with. So um, for us, I think we want to get a year or two years under our belt and really feel confident with what we're doing before we take a next step. But it's certainly something that we've had more fun doing than any other concept that we've ever done. Work is really fun. When it's by far the most fun. Yeah. We, lo we love going to work every day. That's great. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's an extremely bold endeavor and I, and you even helped explain it to me because I've told Natalie, like they, they clearly know what they're doing. They've been in this business a long time, but a burger place in this location, when, when you have other burger places in proximity, how is this, how is this going to work? But again, you guys have a history of creating things that kind of stand the test of time. You've clearly done market research and, and, and found out what you think is the niche product. Well, we, um, you know, the same argument can be made for three taco places, right? It's Absolutely. Right. You know, yes. so there's, there's Torchies, there's Fuego, who's my great friend, Paul Moeller and Dre's friend too. And Mad Taco is my brother-in-law. We're married to sisters. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't be nice. If we put a taco place there. I mean, that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be <laughs> right? a cool, cool family move or anything like that. But we never really considered taco places because we thought, you know, there's a lot of taco offerings that are, boutique -y and different, yes. but there's not a lot of burger offerings like that. I mean, there's a couple, but in our price point and this business model, it's, I don't think there's any that what, with what exactly we just did. So that's kind of, we arrived at it more from a, from a logical operator standpoint than, than really deep market re research. I mean, it was more from the gut um, or from the hip rather, but <clears throat> that's kind of how we arrived at it. How, how important are the elements of 24 hours a day and drive through in this town. Well, so there's, there's a whole market going on when we're sleeping, right? I mean, yeah. when all of us are sleeping, there's, there's a whole, there's, there's a um, commerce going on in the city that, that we're unaware of because we're sleeping and um, we're aware of it because Andres and I are also in the bar business and in Northgate, we have a place called the backyard. And um, so we, we know how much is out there. And so the students, the people in that age segment are eating all hours of the day. They have different class times. They don't have a nine to five like we do. Some do, some don't. And so there's eating going on all, all hours of the day. And we, we felt like we were missing out on some big market share there. I mean, you can only sell alcohol till 2 a.m. And then your food is still being sold till 5 a.m. Right. So we kind of examined that and said, well, you know, there's, there's a market there that we're not hitting in any of our businesses and, you know, in, a, in an effort to uh, diversify Burger Mojo. You know, there's there's one of the things that when, when we talk to retailers, whether they're out of town or local, is the student buying power. So I don't, I don't know if it's just me being older and when I went to school here at A&M, um, I couldn't afford to eat out, you know, three and four times a week. But it seems like our, our students have much more disposable income, at least a, a, at least recently. Is that something that you guys have seen in the bar and restaurant business here locally or is? You know, the only, only identifiable, Andreas, you can say differently or not, but the only identifiable, up, identifiable uptick that I've ever seen really was the whole SEC thing after that happened. Right. I saw a big movement upward after that. Um, but as, as far as how much money they have per capita to spend, um, I, I couldn't say for sure, but it does seem like it. I agree with you. Well, there's there's so many more of them too now. Um, yeah. You know, when we were growing up, or when we bought Cafe Excel, there might have been 40, 40 to forty five thousand students in the area. Now there's seventy plus in the area. 
And the other thing is, you know, the businesses that we've been in for so long, I mean, yes, it's one thing to sell alcohol and on the weekends, I mean, they, they spend money on alcohol and that's a competitive market. But, um, you know, we've always had dine-in restaurants and full-service restaurants where, you know, it's really challenging to get the market share of the student. But if you have a $4 burger and a student is hungry while they're studying at, you know, Denny's at three o'clock in the morning and they don't want Denny's, they come over and go through the drive-thru and spend five bucks and that's that you know it's almost you know they eat like that while they're on campus too they have you know chick-fil-a or whatever offerings they have on campus and snack machines i think that as long as you're appealing to their price point you can get their market share right well we wish you guys incredible luck with burger mojo and um are proud that you guys uh, invested in another business here in college station just congrats on a great start to your business. And thanks for joining Natalie and me here on All Up in thanks Business. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks we for having us. us. You bet. Awesome. Have a good one. Okay, Natalie, here's your chance to leave us with a nugget or two of awesome information. So what do you got? No pressure. No pressure. Um, well, one of the things, and even Andres brought it up in terms of local eateries, and uh, we talked early on about why retail sales tax is so important to us as a community in terms of funding basic services. But also on the Texas A&M campus, there have been some recent announcements with Jason's Deli, Salada, a couple of new Chick-fil-A's um, that are on campus. And why is that important to us as, as a city? It's because we still see those sales tax from campus, from, from the restaurants on campus. So that's a win for College Station. I never even thought of that. Absolutely. You know, most most people don't realize that the state is exempt from property tax. Right. So when you look at the university from a property tax standpoint, uh, we don't see revenue directly from that. But we do see from the retail sales perspective. So the Century Squares of the world, the new restaurants on campus, the bookstore on campus, one of our top uh, sales tax contributors sure. um, as a community. So seeing that retail growth on campus is, is a win for us as a community. And it's a win for my 18-year-old uh, freshman at Texas A&M University who lives on campus and is hungry quite often. Absolutely. We, we can't get enough Chick-fil-A's here. There's always a line, right? I mean, right. I, I don't know that you, we can ever build too many Chick-fil-A's. No, I had asked Natalie a little earlier, like, so will that decompress uh, some of the Chick-fil-A's off campus? I don't think so. No, they're always <laughs> going to be busy, right? Yeah. That's a good problem to have. Right. Okay, so that's it. Um, we did it. All Up In Your Business was written and produced once again by absolutely no one, as you can tell. So you can send your criticisms to Natalie Ruiz at nruiz at cstx.gov. And of course, send your questions, your suggestions, your praise to me, jsokol at cstx.gov. All Up In Your Business is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Find out how easy it is to do business in College Station, Texas by visiting grow.cstx.gov and please shop local. Thanks, Nat. Thank you.